0: where, where things have not only become uh, accepted by our society, but anybody who opposes them is considered psychologically unhealthy. Well, the subject of hell is moving that direction. And uh, so if you ever bring it up and, and, and act like it really exists, people think maybe you've got some kind of psychological problem. My problem, if you want to say it, is, is that I'm teaching the Bible as straightforwardly as I know how. And... Uh, so this isn't like I enjoy the topic and, you know, uh, uh, you, know <laughs> you know, we're going to roast you in hell. M- my problem is, here it is, you know, this discussion. And so I'm going to just teach it as the Bible. I really believe the Bible is the word of God. And so I'm going to teach it as straight as I know how. But it isn't with some sort of macabre desire to, to, uh, to talk about this. It's simply in the in the text, I think, and you'll you'll see it as we go through. We're going to look at, at the three woes, the three woes. We're in the we're going through the book of Revelation. If you're if you're visiting today, uh, we uh, teach through the Bible most of the time, and we've been teaching through the book of Revelation, and uh, so we are at we'll be we'll be at chapter nine today, and we're going to look at a very uh, very very um, tough chunk of scripture, a, a wild episode in in, in the. Future of, of planet Earth, and um, we 're going to try to take a lesson from that and let it apply to our hearts but uh, just uh, thought i 'd give you a fair warning uh, that's that 's where we 're going today and and it 's not an easy sermon to hear and it 's not an easy sermon to preach to be quite honest with you, but um, God has already been doing a work with it. Heavenly Father, we ask you to come and I've already said this isn't an easy subject, but it it is out of your word. And so there's truth and life here, if we'll hear it. And I pray that you would give us that life and that truth, that we'd have ears to hear and eyes to see, and that we would not wrestle with it, but that which is true and from you would ring so and we would receive it. And I pray for the love of God and the grace of God to speak your word faithfully and accurately. In Jesus' name, amen. The first four trumpets, we're in that section of the seven trumpets. The first four trumpets brought natural disaster to the earth. But the final three will bring spiritual disaster. For five months, the world will be subjected to a demon-induced torment at a level far beyond anything it has ever known. People will long to die, to escape, but will be unable to do so. Then demonic plagues will annihilate whole populations, eventually destroying one-third of all who are alive. And worst of all, Satan himself will be personally forced down onto the earth, which begins a final period of the last days called the Great Tribulation. It seems hell itself will arrive on our planet. And that's the only explanation that makes sense, at least to me, of the terrible scenario that lies ahead. Apparently, God will give the earth a foretaste of hell. In effect, asking, do you really want to spend eternity with this? And amazingly, the answer from many seems to be yes, which is so illogical that it forces us to stop and ask the question, how do some people become so resistant to God? Why don't they simply repent and let him save them? And though we'll try to answer this question, We won't stop there. Knowing that nothing is impossible with God, we'll also consider the ways he breaks through to hard hearts so that we can better partner with him in the process. Revelation chapter 9. I'll begin at verse 1, and I'm going to read down to 12 and then uh, describe that and then do uh, the, the, the sixth trumpet as well if I can. The fifth angel sounded... And I saw a star from heaven, which had fallen to the earth. Would you notice the past tense there? It had fallen. He doesn't watch a star fall. He sees a star that had fallen. And we'll see later on. Uh, Satan has been cast down from, from heaven, or will be shortly. And he says he saw a star which had fallen. And the term star is very often used for an angel. And the key of the bottomless pit, literally the abyss, the shaft of the abyss, abyss is something without a bottom, it it is immeasurably deep, was given to him. And he opened the abyss, and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. And then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given to them as scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt any of the green grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And we saw that God sealed his believers over in chapter 7, verse 3. He marked them. uh, He said, these are not to be touched. And of course, really, I think the seal is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, and death flees from them. The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. Sounds like a rock star, doesn't it? Um, And they had breastplates like the breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots, of many horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is the power to hurt men for five months. They have as their king over them the angel of the abyss. And his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, which means the place of destruction and ruin. And in Greek, he has the name Apollyon, the one who destroys. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. Let me comment just on what we've seen here. The picture here is that a star. Well, it's a, it's obviously a rational star. This star is given a key, so this is a spirit, not, not some celestial body. This person, this spirit, is given a key, which is the power to open. And he's given the key to open the shaft of the abyss. Is what it literally says. There's some place that is Im- that is immeasurably deep, and he opens it up and outpours smoke. You can think of that that column of smoke coming out of Mount St. Helens just bellowing upward, and out of the smoke pours this infestation of locusts. Locusts are like grasshoppers on steroids. They are really (laughs) aggressive grasshoppers, basically, is what they are. And they will come in great clouds, even darkening the sun, and and land on fields and every form of vegetation and just consume it. So you've got this picture of this great a horde of these locusts. Only these locusts don't land on the vegetation. These locusts land on people. And they are not simply munching vegetation. They're empowered like a scorpion would be to sting and hurt people. Uh, by the way, do you remember Jesus made the comment? It's in, it's in Luke 10, 18. He says, I gi- I've given you the power to tread underfoot. What? Serpents and scorpions, yeah. And frankly, we're going to see in this trumpet, we're going to see scorpions, and in the sixth trumpet, we see the serpents. So we're talking about these, and Jesus, when he made that comment about serpents and scorpions, wasn't saying I'm going, you're going to handle insects and, and reptiles well. His point was demons. He says, I'm giving you power over demons, and he had just talked about it, so there's no question. So these things have, the, the, demo, they are de- demonic powers that have the p- ability to hurt People and only the people who don't have the mark of God and who don't belong to Him, and they are not permitted. Verse five to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. What is with that? And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. So they 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 can cause misery. We're not told whether it's physical or spiritual or mental misery, but whatever it is, it's they can they, they can bring this misery to people, but they can't kill them and in fact people aren't allowed to die during this period there's a 5 month season here where people can't die they can't even commit suicide they can't escape this thing what a, what a, what a picture and then it just des- he describes these things and i you know either they are just the ugliest insect on earth uh, or these things are symbols and i take them to be symbols And so they have on their head a crown. What does a crown represent? Authority. Authority. And we've seen authority to to conquer with uh, the Antichrist getting a crown. Then they have faces like the faces of men. Meaning, in my mind, they are rational beings. They are not insects. They had hair like the hair of women. I think that implies that there's something attractive and beautiful about them. Uh, there is a seductive quality about these that cause people to be attracted to them. In fact, we're going to see later on, one of the hang-ups is people start worshiping them. They have, and they have teeth like lions, but they tear their prey. They are vicious killers. And they have the breastplates like the breastplates of iron. In other words, they're invincible. That humans have no power to kill them or stop them in any form. There's no fly swatter to deal with these locusts. And they have tails like, uh, they, say they have wings, they're swift and mobile, uh, spiritual beings, they, have, they sound like they horses rushing to battle, uh, coordinated assault of, of an enormous multitude of them. They have tails like scorpions and stings. As I said, the ability to hurt men, not just munch uh, greenery. And their power is given for five months. And then if there's any question, their king is Satan. That's who that is. And their king is Satan, so they, they, they are the minions they, uh, of, 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 the, of the king of hell. What is this going on? What kind of moment is this and why is this happening? As you step into the three woes, which are the last three trumpets, the trouble that comes on the earth is spiritual. Remember, the word woe is not W-H-O-A. It's not woe, dude. It's, it's, it's woe, W-O-E. It's the cry of agony and misery that comes out of a heart that is, is suffering badly. So the eagle... John had seen this eagle soaring overhead, and, and the eagle said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, as the next three you know what 's coming ahead is far more miserable than the natural disasters that you 've been suffering up till now. First four, uh, trumpets brought natural disasters such poisoned water, polluted air, probably a, an impact with an asteroid of something or something on that order." Uh, Things in bad shape. But it, now, the spiritual climate is going to get horrible. The first woe we've just seen. Somehow, the demons of hell, the demons of the abyss, I should say, are released upon the earth. Now, doesn't it seem to you we've got enough demons now? Didn't strike me we needed it anymore. But believe it or not, quite a lot of them, have been locked away. I'm not going to go through the whole explanation, but there actually is an explanation for it. And it, we're, going to, we're coming right now to the midpoint of the seven years, the final seven years. And what happens, the real key at the midpoint, is that Satan is cast from heaven. Uh, we'll see that in a minute later on, not, not today. But Satan is cast from heaven, and he comes down to the earth in person. And in that, he then begins to empower the Antichrist at a whole nother level. You are seeing, John sees this star, this angel, which had fallen to the earth. And to him was given the key to open the pit and let out his minions and let them bilge bilge onto the earth in just this horrible mass. And suddenly the atmosphere of the earth is saturated with demonic presence. Why would God do such a thing? And then with the tormenting of people, they begin to be in agony and misery, whether physical or spiritual, they're in agony, but they can't die. There's no escaping it. They are stuck in this horrible atmosphere with these demons. The only thing that makes sense to me is in God's mercy and in his longing to turn the hearts of this planet, he's saying to them, I'm going to give you a foretaste of hell. Hell, there'll be a place where you're living with these things and you can't die, you can't commit suicide, you can't escape it. You're going to live in it hopelessly forever. Are you sure you want to go there? You know, one of the horrors of, of, of suicide is that people often think when I commit suicide, when I shoot myself or take the pills or slit my wrists or whatever, I will be find relief. This misery that I've been in, this anguish that I've been in will go away and and, and I will suddenly be at peace. That's the joke. Because see, what will happen to you is if you did that, you would kill yourself. You would come up, see your body there, and be just as miserable as you had been. Nothing changes. There's no escaping. And now that you're dead, there's no changing this forever. You have just sealed your fate to see that you will stay in that misery for eternity. Is that a horrible joke or what? You can, can you see where the devil loves suicide? So here you have a picture of people that can't commit suicide and God's saying, when you get there, you can't escape. Do you understand? There is no escape. And for five months, he allows this terrible situation to go on. Let's look at the sixth trumpet. Are you having fun yet? This is... Okay, I told you it wasn't an easy thing to hear, but here we are. The sixth trumpet, verse 13. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar. That would be in that small altar of incense. Again, it has to do with God answering the prayers of His people. Which one saying to the sixth trumpet, who had pardon me, the sixth angel who had the trumpet, "Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates." And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released so that they would, they would kill a third of mankind. And the number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. It literally says two myriads of myriads is what it says. Uh, we already saw a myriad of myriads uh, and thousands of thousands with the angels worshiping God. Now we have this innumerable mass, basically, of whatever these are. Uh, Some people uh, think of them as a a human army. I don't think it is. I think this is that demonic army. There is later on a human army, uh, a huge one, but but this isn't it, I don't think. I think, again, you've got this demonic force, and you've got just an innumerable number of them, a swarm, a huge swarm of them. And this is how I saw in the vision, verse 17, the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates the color of fire. What color is fire? Yeah, red or orange. And of hyacinth, which is smoky blue. And of brimstone. Brimstone is sulfur. What color is that? Yellow, right, bright yellow. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions. In other words, they're vicious killers. And out of their mouths proceed fire, smoke, and brimstone which were the elements of Sodom and Gomorrah. Fire and brimstone and then great smoke billowed up from the destruction. So they are; these are agents bringing destruction. What kind of destruction? Verse 18 is going to tell us. And a third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone. Either a Sodom and Gomorrah-like scenario, which if you were going to have a, a nuclear war or something like that in this picture of, of, of revelation, that would probably be it right there, but it might well be simply devastation by plagues, some sort of terrible plagues. Something's going to go through that annihilates a third of the of the humans that are left, uh, wiping out whole populations. For the mouth of pardon, the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. Now here here comes the serpents, for their tails are like serpents. We'd seen scorpions, now we're seeing serpents and have heads with them they do harm. Again, that demonic uh, impact. Now read with me verse 20 because here's the verdict of all of this. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and silver and brass and of stone and of wood which can neither see, nor hear, nor walk. Let's go on. And they did not repent of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor their immorality, nor their thefts. Immorality is the word is fornications. Somehow, you have this five-month season of torment without death, followed by Sodom and Gomorrah-like, judgment that comes on on the place, and a third of mankind is destroyed. It seems to be demonically caused. God just releases the the demonic destruction. And the verdict is that a whole lot of people didn't repent. Now, if you were sitting there experiencing hell on earth, by, by the way, I should say that those are the first two woes. Did we enjoy those? The third woe is that Satan himself will come to the earth. And I give you the references. You can look it up. It's in chapter 12. But the third woe is that there's a war in heaven and that Satan, who has been there, accusing you before God on a regular basis. He is constantly accusing us. That's, he, is not a, he is not divine. Satan isn't everywhere. Satan is one place at a time. Occasionally he takes a walk around down here, we find, from the book of Job. But he is not you know, pitter-pattering in your front door. He has minions that serve him. Demonic angels that serve him. He is accusing you before, the, before God, but at the right hand of the Father is someone else. And that is your, inner, your, your advocate. That is Jesus Christ who constantly says, doesn't matter, I've paid for that. It's under the blood. It's under the blood. I don't know if he has to say anything or just stand there with the, with the scars and, and say, shell's mine. May not seem like it, but he's mine. And he just just owns us, and that that accusation is constantly broken. At some moment in history, a real event happens. Satan is cast out of heaven. And it says he comes down to the earth with a rage. And he says, woe to the earth, for he's come down, and he knows his time is short. And so that's the third woe. So each of them is spiritual. Demonic, demonic deathless torment for five months. Uh, This terrible plague's that dis- devastate a third of mankind, and Satan himself arriving. We have all the elements of hell. God has given the earth a foretaste of hell. Why would he do that? It's not some, some vicious attempt to want to hurt people. It is his desire to warn people. It is, he is begging the earth to repent. He is begging them, saying, surely you don't want to go here, do you? Now I started this by saying hell isn't a popular subject. I mean, people are doing all kinds of things with hell right now. A lot of people are into annihilationism. You sort of go and disappear. I'll deal with that later on, another time, because we can't get away from it in this book. But I don't think you. I don't think spirits go. I think once you have a spirit, you're a spirit. I think a spirit's eternal. I don't think. And then both the righteous and the unrighteous are resurrected. Did you know that? Couldn't be clearer. Jesus says it specifically. John will say it here. There is no way around it. Resurrected, not resuscitated. Resurrected. and I don't think you can fry those bodies. So what goes on? Hell is a reality that's horrible, and I think it's why God sent his son. I think there is no way around this. There's a terrible alternative, and I don't I don't want to be, dramatic, be over. I don't need to be more dramatic than the text itself. It simply says it's horrible. You don't want to go there. Now, I want to just remind you a minute. What is the one thing mankind says won't do? They won't repent. And we looked at this in the sermon called The Seven Trumpets. And we said, what is repentance? And I defined it there. I just want to take a moment because not everybody heard that and I'd like to have it good and firmly in your mind. I think there's some really revelational things there. It is to me anyway. It's fresh bread to me. What is repentance? Remember I said repentance, uh, the Greek word is metanoia, which means to change your mind, not feel sorry. A person is not repented because they feel sorry for the mess they've made. Sorry is is being sore and, 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 and unhappy about the trouble I've caused. Repentance is where I decide not to live that way anymore. I really change my orientation. And here's the one thing that you have to repent of. When you repent to come to God, and, and you have to repent to come to God, by the way, the, when you repent, to, by, you, what you're doing is you are giving God the right to be God in your life again the heart of human rebellion is that we have become self-reliant and independent that we want to make our own decisions and I remember I took you to the Garden of Eden and we saw the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil the, the temptation for Adam and Eve was if you pick that fruit you will become wise knowing good from evil being able to make your own decisions about what's right and what's wrong you won't need God that was the temptation So when you take that fruit, you're saying, I don't want God telling me what's right and wrong. I don't want God guiding my life and directing my life. Thank you. I want to be in control. I want to do what's right in my own eyes. That is the root of human sin. And I've said it, and it almost scares us, but hang on. You can't go to heaven and hang on to the apple. The American culture right now spends an enormous amount of time sort of rejoicing in the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but ignores the fact that we have to repent, not simply affirm the truth that he died on the cross. You cannot get away from it. You must repent and believe. And so no one's going to heaven hanging on to the apple. Listen, to do you hear what I said? You cannot be a rebel who says, I don't want God telling me what to do. I don't want God, I just, I just want him to forgive me so I go to heaven, but I don't want him messing around in my life, telling me this is wrong or this is right or I got to do this. I don't want him doing that. Well then, we're well, just going to have to kind of wait a while till you're ready. Because until you are ready, it, repentance is fundamentally putting the apple back on the tree. Say that with me, it's putting the apple back on the tree, exactly. Giving God the right to be God in our lives. That's the heart of repentance. Now, that's what people won't do. And what I want to look at today is to take this a step further and ask the question, why won't people do that? I mean, if you're sitting there actually looking at hell on earth and seeing this torment to the point that you wish you could die, and all you have to do is repent and give your heart to Jesus Christ and have eternal bliss What are you thinking that you wouldn't do it? I mean, you have to be, it's, 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 it's illogical. It's crazy, to be honest with you. If there were a way out, why wouldn't you take it? Something happens in people where they harden their hearts. And they do it for different reasons. But people harden their hearts toward God and become actually bitter toward him. And what will happen as we get on in this thing, it gets worse. We haven't gotten to the bowls yet. You'll find that they believe in him, but they grind their teeth and curse him. They spit at him. They tell him off. They don't repent. They just hate him more. Isn't that amazing? What causes the human heart to become so hardened? I'm not going to take you there, but I I, I give you some texts you can look at later. Romans chapter 1. Paul uses a phrase, he uses it three times, and he he says this. Well, actually, I will take you there. I've got to show you at least the first part. I I just won't labor it. I want you to just just look at this. Verse 18 of, of Romans chapter 1. Paul is commenting on this very issue, what goes on in the human heart. And he says, for the wrath of God, which is what we're seeing there in the tribulation period, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, and notice this phrase, of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What do they do to the truth? Yeah, on purpose. Men who don't want to see the truth, who suppress it and put it down and put it behind them. I don't want to hear the truth, and they, they deliberately refuse it. Because that which is known, Paul says, because the bottom line is everybody already knows God exists. That's what he's about to say. That which is known about God is evident where within them. Say within them. Isn't that amazing? Everybody, believer and unbeliever alike, have the witness of God within them. I think it's the conscience. There's a sense in everybody that he's there. You know, we often ask the question, what about people that aren't raised in a Christian nation and don't hear this? Every person, from the first moment they're alive to the last moment of their of their last breath in their body, the Spirit of God is witnessing to them, calling them. Every person. Our conscience, but not only our right and wrong conscience, just the inner sense that he's there's somebody here. There's somebody who made this. And then secondly, Paul goes on to say. For since, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen and understood through what has been made. So they're without excuse. Paul says, not only is there the inner witness of your conscience and there's that sense of God, but there is a universe that is beyond explanation that no one made it. Um, I, had, I, was, I flew down to Los Angeles on Tuesday and I flew back on Tuesday, it was one of these real quick trips. On the way home, I, I, I often do this, I'll sit down and I'll say, Lord, do you, if you want me to talk to somebody, I will, and otherwise I'd really like to study, uh, but I'd be happy to talk if you want to. And uh, sometimes I study and sometimes the Lord puts someone next to me, and this time, <clears throat> A, a, a woman who is an executive for a, an advertising agency, and she was coming up with her team to uh, me, to talk with a new client here in the uh, Seattle area. And boy, well, no sooner did she said, "You know, what do you do?" And I said, I'm a "Pastor." And that that's that either either like, "Oh, thank you," <laughs> and they spend the rest of their time looking out the window, or or you know they they want to talk. So you never know which it is, and. Uh, she began to ask questions. She says, you know, I, I, I go to a, uh, I believe in God. I blow go to a self-realization fellowship. And I just think it's, it's, too, it's narrow that we all, you know, think different religions are right and wrong. And I said, you know, that's a, that is a very generous thought. And, and I said, the, the, the... <clears throat> and, and it is, isn't it? It's a nice way to look at things. And I said, you know, if there isn't a God, you'd be absolutely correct. Uh, it wouldn't matter what anyone really believed so long as it helped them cope and, and they didn't hurt somebody else. Wouldn't that be true? But I said, if there is a God, then wouldn't we want to know who he is? Well, yes, we would. And, uh, and then I said, you know, I find it hard to believe when you're looking at this world with its complexities and all the creation that's here. I personally can't even talk myself into believing it came from nothing. I think that is, that's, it, there's an, it's, it's insanity, it's ridiculous to the point that I cannot even make myself. She said, I, I agree with you, there has to be a God. There has to be a God. It's a very intelligent woman and uh, I don't mean because she agreed with me, though there is a similarity there, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Um, so, yeah, so we got into this, we, we got into this, and we really, I mean, she just, all of the heartfelt questions, and it was very open, very sweet-spirited, uh, as the time got on, you know, she's wiping tears, and, and opening her heart, I finally, I gave her my Bible, uh, I have this little one I really like, but I—but—but <laughs> but she was really a seeker, I mean, this is, a, this is an earnest woman, uh, the Bible, nothing, I, I gave it to her, and and, and was pleased to do so, but the point being, is in everybody, there's this... Nobody really who's honest can look at the stars and the moon and the sun and the flowers and the sunsets and the and the complexity of the earth the complexity of your own body and say oh it's just it's all chance from nothing by the way it exists all this exists from nothing we were flying over, coming into to, to, to Seattle, landing, and looking out, and you could see this, the, all the the lights and the roads and the you know this little little tiny towns down beneath us. And she says, it's, "It's amazing how you look down and see how small everybody and everything is. How could God know everybody?" And I said, "It is amazing. Only God could do that, isn't it?" And she said, "It's, it's, it's hard to believe." I said, "Yes, but it's also hard to believe this all exists without Him. You're right, it does." And so we had this this kind of discussion. Paul says that in everybody, there is an inner witness and there is the witness of creation. And then actually he'll go on to say, and the witness of God through his communication, his written word, and then finally by giving us his son. He has shown himself and spoken to this earth. That's why Jesus is called the word. Why don't people repent and turn to God? This particular person I talked to was very tender-hearted. She was not at all hard. Uh, it was actually a, just a delight to talk to her. But some people get real hard. And Paul says in that text, in, and you don't need to turn back, but Paul, uh, Paul says in that text in Romans, he says, God gave them over because people refused to see the truth. God gave them over. And then he describes things that God gave them over to. But there's the sense that God takes his protective hand and lifts it off of a person at some point. I think you've got to have gone a long way. It's, it's not like it's just a quick thing. But there is a point where God says, all right. I've been merciful, and I've been patient, and I've shown you my love. If this is what you want, then I'm going to try to deal with you by taking my hand off and giving it to you full bore. You want this, do you? Well, have a taste. Have a taste of what it is when I take my protective grace off you, and you get to really experience the power of sin. And he takes his hand off and gives them over. It in itself is God's form of discipline, I think, which is pleading for the, for the stubborn to repent. That's what's going on on the earth. The earth is seeing God give them over. He's lifting his hand because they have so deeply resisted. He's saying, so you want human government, do you? And not me? Well, let's see what human government without my merciful protection and grace upon it looks like. You, you, wanna, you don't care where you spend eternity. You don't want to be with me in eternity, right? Well, let me show you the alternative. How do you like it? This is the alternative. This is where you'll be if you don't want to be where I am. He turns them over and lets them taste the bitter fruit of what it'll be. Why do people get so hard? Why does it take this kind of thing? I'm going to just mention some of the reasons that I see when, I, when I, over the years I've talked with people. Number one, you find people who believe a lie about God. Um, They reject God. They're very upset with God, but often because they've been taught very distorted, false things about God. And if you hear them out, you'll hear a God you wouldn't believe in either, a God you would want to reject too, often harsh, vindictive, cruel, arbitrary a God who's like a great marionette pulling the strings and causing all these things, a God who is full of wrath, a God who happily damns a whole portion of the human race with no, 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 no concern, just wants to show his justice. You have, you have these kinds of gods, and by the time you're done with them, man, you think, I wouldn't believe in that either. I mean, I'd run away from that. That's horrible. Some people, secondly, are still angry over the way Christians have treated them. People have a hard time separating God from his people. And some people have gotten badly burned by so-called Christians. Uh, they've, been, they've had youth ministers who've abused them and even raped them. You've had people who've gone to church and had some supposed Christian and leader in the church draw them into to a financial scam and take their entire savings and, inher- and, and, and retirement. You've had people who've been lied to, cheated. You've watched pastors do horrible things and then get protected by, by the board of elders and rather than disciplined. You've, you've seen liars and cheats. You've had some of the worst businessmen in the, in the town be an elder in some church. And there's something that goes on, is this disconnect, and you think, this has got to be phony baloney because it couldn't possibly produce that kind of person if it were real. And so people have burned us, burned us badly. We've, some, of the, some of the angriest atheists have been raised in church. And if you really get into them, their heart, out comes this fury over the rigid, harsh way they were treated, over somebody who did something to them. And they're so angry that they want to punish God. It really isn't so much they don't believe, it's that they hate. And, and, and you'll find them in punishing God, and this is the next point as well, where sometimes God has disappointed them. He has not answered a prayer the way they thought. And, you, know, you know, let me put this in perspective. A lot of people don't pray. They don't serve God. They don't walk in faith. They've never done anything in real faith. But then they get the report that it's malignant. And now... We're, we're, we're pulling out of the stops. We're, we're dusting off the things. We're, now we're going to really be a Christian because we need help bad. And so we're going to try to walk in faith at this crucial moment of our life where we have the greatest fear we've ever felt. And now we're going to try to rise up in faith. It's really, forgive me, it's pretty pathetic. You see, we weren't supposed to do this at the last minute. We were supposed to have learned to walk in faith all these years, but we didn't. And now, with what is begging and bargaining prayers and almost superstitious running to God, we don't get healed. Sometimes we do, and it's just amazing. But quite honestly, when the answers come, it's more amazing than it is when they don't in those kinds of conditions. I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm just going to tell you how it is. Because we've been playing a game. People come along and say, okay, now I'm giving you your chance, you know. You ought to be excited. I actually prayed. (laughs) You know? I just got fired, need a job. You got your chance. Go for it, big boy. I mean, it's that kind of thing, isn't it? It's just pathetic. And then when nothing happens, well, I gave God his chance, and he failed it. And you know what people often do? They get bitter at God, feeling God is up there, a marionette, just could, ch- ch- causing everything, because there's this common theology in America that says God controls everything. Everything that happens is God's will, which is absolute baloney. Absolute baloney. There's a devil, there's a war, there's all this going on, but they got this thinking that God can just tromp a little button and make it all happen if he wanted to. And since he didn't just tromp that button for me, he doesn't like me. Oh, you don't like me, huh? Well, I don't like you either. And so now I'm going to take every opportunity that I can to blaspheme you out of my mouth. I will say vulgar things with your name involved. I'll be filthy when I talk about your name. I will hate you and I will hate your Christians and I will not believe in you. I'm going to assassinate you by my atheism. I won't believe in you. I'll show you what. You hate me. You don't answer my prayers. I'll show you what I do to people like you. And there's this war on and they call it atheism. It ain't atheism. It's war. Fourthly, they believe that they have committed an unforgivable sin. This is a very terrible lie the devil plants in people's hearts. Now, I'll grant you, I've been pastor a long time. There are people who've done some pretty bad stuff. I mean, I, I hit and run and, and got away with it. And somebody's dead, some, you know, and, and they carry a thing like that in their heart for uh, decades, afraid to turn themselves in, um, but they've killed somebody. And, and, and so you give an altar call or an invitation, and, and what goes through their heads is, yeah, you got a bunch of wimpy sinners around here and little stuff. What do they do, you know, uh, cuss, uh, you know, and, <laughs> but I've done the big stuff, man. I've murdered somebody. I've I've, I've 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 adulterized for years. I've I've been a, a thief in my business. I have ever found out, I go to jail. You know, and they've got horrible things going on, and they consider themselves in a class of sinner that's simply too tough for God to redeem. Now, I'm going to tell you what you don't understand, because this is really important. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for. Every sin of every human for all time. So here's the deal. He's already died for your hit and run, for your arson, for your adultery, for your lying, for your, for, for your th- thievery. He's already paid for it. The only thing that happens when you don't receive that is it goes wasted. He doesn't, when you show up, he doesn't go, oh, man i got to suffer some more to let this clown in. (laughs) He's a tough one. He doesn't go back on the cross and die a little more because you came to church and gave your life to Christ. All that's happening, he's already paid the price. It's all paid for. The sins I haven't even committed yet are paid for. Do you get it? Once for all. And so, no matter how bad your sin is, it's already been on the cross. The question is, will you lay hold of that and receive its benefit, or will it go wasted? And so the devil tries to plant this thought in our minds, what I've done is beyond salvation. What I've done is beyond hope. I've done things he doesn't want. And so people react by hardening their heart to God and feeling hopeless and trying to think, well, at least I, I want to believe there is no God and there is no hell. And they begin to play this game. Some don't want to stop doing something they know to be, He forbids. That's just, I mean, that's a classic, isn't it? I just know that if I come to God, I'll have to stop doing drugs, I'll have to stop sleeping with women, I'll have to stop cheating in my business, and man, it's been working like crazy, and I'm bringing in money hand over fist, and I'll have to get honest, and who knows, I'll probably have to get a whole other job, Um, etc. Some people are simply counting the cost. They're not stupid. They know that when they become a disciple of Jesus Christ, he's going to ask things of them that will be costly, and frankly, they're just not willing to pay the price, well, what God does in that case is simply, generally, it's this thing where he turns you over. And time, as time goes on, if you really if you want to take that course the long way, he'll let you eat the bitter fruit of your rebellion. And he'll take his hand off and let you simply experience the impact of it. And again, it's always, not to be cruel, but in the hope of waking you up before it's too late. Saying, come on home, please. Do you really want this? Number six, some people people feel hopelessly trapped in a sin that they can't stop. I've heard, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, Pastor, I'd like to be a Christian, but I just can't live the lifestyle. I've tried. I've tried many times. I'm a drug addict. I'm a this and I'm a that. I can't seem to stop. I have tried desperately to stop, and I can't. And so in their minds, since I can't clean up my act, God wouldn't want me. And of course, the thing that's, that's wrong there is... Nobody can really clean their act up until they come to God. And I say this phrase, but it works. God cleans his fish after he catches them. So give your life to him. He'll give the Holy Spirit to you. And listen to me, he'll also give the body of Christ to you. Now here's why the devil wants us to be judgmental and self-righteous and critical of each other. He keeps... If, if we have a church where people criticize and talk about each other and gossip and and are are, are are looking down at each other, nobody will ever open up their heart and share their problems they don't dare they're going to get shot for it, which means they probably won't get free. Freedom in Christ, free from these addictions, free from these these behaviors comes with the power of the Holy Spirit within me, but it also comes when the body of Christ prays for me and loves me and stands with me and walks me through my pain. We need each other desperately, and it's how we'll get free, and the devil knows that. So if he can't stop us from believing the gospel, he's at least going to make us self-righteous prudes. Did I say that so we understood? Yeah, I don't want to. Steve, you do have a way with words. Yeah, that way with words has gotten me in trouble a lot over my lifetime, I'll tell you. They fear the sacrifices they'll have to make as a disciple. Some people just count the cost. They're not stupid. They figure, man, I become a Christian. You know, I just know he's going to make me a missionary, and then he'll send me to Borneo, and, and, and or, or I'm gonna, he's going to make me preach, and I hate to stand in front of people. I'm terrified of it, and I, know, I just know he'll make me a preacher, and I'll have to stand and preach, or I just know whatever. You know the sacrifices that'll come. Quite honestly, if that's what God has called you to do, you've been made for it since your mother's womb. You're anointed for it. You'll be one humdinger of a missionary if that's what he tells you to do. Do you understand? And instead of making widgets and having a swimming pool in the shape of a piano in your backyard, what you'll have is multitudes of souls in heaven Because you followed the call of God. And that's the worst thing he'll do to you. But we don't get it. We don't see it. We don't see it all from that perspective. They feel that if they acknowledge. I do want to bring this one out. Because this is a tricky one. It's a very subtle thing. But I have seen it numerous times. They feel if they acknowledge the gospel. Then they are admitting their deceased loved ones. Who never apparently repented. Must be in hell. Their loyalty demands they join them wherever they are. I've had people say, you know, if I affirm this, my my mom, my dad, my grandparents weren't believers. And if I admit to your gospel that Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord, if I do this, I'm making a judgment that my parents or my family are in hell. So I am loyal to them. I love them. And I'm going to reject your gospel to try to protect them and protect their eternity. First of all, let me say this. No one knows who is going to go to hell. I believe that, who is this God of ours? He's a God who so loved the world that he sent his son to die for us. He's a God who does every morning of of your life is there drawing you to him. He's a God who's desperately doing everything he knows to save people. I think a lot happens even, even in those moments immediately following the, the stopping of the heart. I, you don't know who's going to be in heaven, but I'm going to tell you something. If there's any way to get people to, in heaven, if there's any justification at all that, that he can draw, he will. So I just think it's a question that's not yours or ours to, mine to decide. And I think you trust your family and loved ones to the Lord and, and you come to the Lord, but there's really nothing gained by you keeping yourself back from God because you're not sure about people you love in their walk with God you have to let each person walk their own walk and know that God is merciful beyond our understanding and some people used to serve Jesus Christ but have betrayed him and walked away they feel he doesn't want him back well of course he wants you back but that's a dangerous game to play and uh, you simply need to, to come home to him repent of it and and um, be his again. How can we break through to hard hearts? Well, I'll tell you one way you don't. Scolding people, threatening them, doesn't help. It just makes them mean-er. Steady intercession. We have an anointing coming over the Thursday night prayer meeting, and we've been praying for the hard cases And there is a passion and a a, a presence of the Spirit that's coming into our prayer meeting on Thursday night that's just remarkable. And people are weeping and they're just, just, just crying out to God and just storming heaven for the souls of their families and friends. You can feel the traction. I mean, we are just getting traction. You know God is hearing us. There's a place where we need to start praying earnestly, not just sort of going, why is my uncle so stubborn? That doesn't help anything. Pray for him. We said, I'm getting tired of praying for him. Then join us. We're tired too. And we all get together and we encourage each other to pray for the hard cases. And God hears those prayers and stuff moves when you pray. We need to, people when they're brought into the presence of the Holy Spirit, they'll either run out or they'll open up and cry. I've seen people run out watching <laughs> real disciples you know, if you're a real disciple, unbelievers or hard, hard, hard hearts are watching you. And here's the way they watch you. They watch you under a microscope, hoping you're a hypocrite. And in fact, if they don't see enough flaws, they'll try to actually attack you and get you to get in the flesh so that they can say, aha, see, those Christians aren't any different. They don't have anything I don't have. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to provoke you to fail so that they don't have to engage your God. But boy, when people are loving, you, in fact, when you have an altar call, when Billy Graham gives an altar call and, and, and thousands stream forward, I'll guarantee you those thousands have watched thousands of real Christians. In fact, almost everybody you can say, who was it who showed you Christ? And you'll hear people begin to cry and talk about their grandmother and, or, or some neighbor lady or a teacher that they had in school who showed them Christ and they never forgot it. When people live the real love of God, it is so powerful. It, it, people will sooner or later give up. They need solid answers to their troubling questions. I had one young man one time, he, was, he would not come to Christ because he was so angry at Jesus for cursing the fig tree. Poor thing, that poor little tree. It had said it was not even the season for figs, and here comes Jesus walking along, and this tree didn't have any figs on it, and Jesus just goes, and fries the dumb tree. And, and he saw it as an act of rage. He thought Jesus was a rageaholic who lost his cool and, and fried the tree. And I said, would you like to know what that really means? Yeah. So I explained to him how it was a prophetic symbol of Israel, which is the fig tree, and how it had no fruit and the Messiah had arrived in a season they didn't expect and was looking for fruit and found none and was about to pronounce judgment on it. He came to Christ. He'd simply been so hung up on things. So we need to speak to people's troubling questions, not brush them off or say they're silly. And lastly, of course, when the pain of change is less than the pain of remaining the same. Some people, it has to get so bad, they have to hurt so bad, they'll finally decide to change. Hard hearts. Hearts that get angry at God and walk away from Him the devil's so involved in that he's the one lying and misleading and deceiving people into this process but may i show you who the real god is the real god the one that the devil doesn't want you to see so loved you that he sent his only begotten son And allowed him not just to die like Socrates drinking the hemlock. But allowed him to be torn to shreds on the cross. Allowed all of hell's demons to just go after him. To be punished for your sin. To bear the shame and the ugly, filthy feeling of having been the greatest sinner on earth. Christ did that. That's the God we serve. The God who shed his blood and and said, I've given you a new covenant, and I'll put my righteousness and my purity over you, and I want to bless you. I want to forget the sins that you've ever committed. Not only forgive them, I want them to be forgotten, and I want to look on you as my son and my daughter, and I want you to live with me in bliss forever. That's the true God. That's the God the devil doesn't want you to see. That's what, that's what he's got a heart in your heart, and he's got to lie about him, because if he tells the truth, if anybody knows the truth, It goes to your heart like a sword. And you think, why wouldn't I walk with him? Real repentance is this simple gesture. It's putting your hand in God's and saying, Father, I trust you. I trust your love and your purity and your goodness. And I want you to lead. I give up control. And I want you to guide my life. That's repentance. And then faith is that all my sins have been paid for by the Son of God. They've been washed away, not only the ones I've done in the past, but the sins I haven't even committed yet. As I walk with Christ, it's constantly being cleansed, constantly being cleansed from my life. Repentance and faith, that's how a man or woman's born again, filled with the Holy Spirit. And for those of us that know him, this terrible picture that we've painted today, has nothing to do with our lives. We will never experience that hell. It's not ours. For us, it's eternal life. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, with all that's in us, we thank you today for the gift of your beloved Son, for so being so committed to saving us that you would pay any price. And we simply say today, you have you have. Your son has not wasted his life or his blood for us. He has not paid this price and have us walk away. We believe with all our hearts that Jesus Christ is your beloved son. We believe with all our hearts that our sin is paid for. We receive the great gift that has been given us. Come Holy Spirit now. And wash us clean and soften our hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray it. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.